Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. I think we're still needy in tech. I think we're still covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 158, recorded on August the 31st, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needypentech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. I cannot remember how to do this. <laughs> I was actually prepared to announce all of, uh, or announce all of your news because I kind of don't have any. Uh, and, and apparently every person that works with data works during summers. So... Uh, so that, that's that's a good point. I mean, we've been on vacation, and mm-hmm. there was a time. Oh, I'm I'm about to sound very very old, but bear <laughs> with me. There was a time when I worked through the summer as well because it was so much fun. I can just keep doing whatever I was doing. That time has kind of come and gone, I should say. So I try to really push the work out of my vacations. I think that is a good thing. Um, But yeah, it turns out that the world keeps spinning, even if we're on vacation. So there has been a lot of news. And Mm -hmm. I have a ton of it on the data side of things. So let's dive into straight. The the most obvious thing is the Power BI August update. Uh, It was released on August the 9th. So we're expecting the September update fairly fairly soon. And as always, there's a lot of new things in a Power BI update. One is the default sensitivity label policy in Power BI desktop. We've, we've talked about sensitivity labels and the effect that those has both upstream and downstream. Uh, but now you can set a default sensitivity label. So whenever you create a new Power BI report, it's by default, it's going to have a label, which I think is a good thing because otherwise you need to set it explicitly. And we all know how easy it is to forget something like that. And I think that goes back to when when I spoke about data protection and data privacy, that in practice, you should not have unclassified or unlabeled data. There is no concept of that. Everything needs to have some kind of classification. So a default sensitivity label, which in most cases would be like internal or general or something like that, is to me a great addition. And I I have a customer which is interested in applying sensitivity labels to their Power BI implementation. So it would be very interesting to work on that and, and see how I can apply what I know from protecting documents and data to some actual data. Yeah, and that's a very, very, very good point and not an obvious point if you don't have any background in mm-hmm. in security. The funny thing is the whole the same concept is common in, in data because I, for one, try to avoid nulls like the plague. A mm-hmm. null is the absent of, absence of, of a, a value. I'd much rather go for a zero if I yep. can get away with it. I mean, I think you get the point. But yes, mm-hmm. always classify whatever you're working with as something because yep. that is way better than not doing so. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a terrible metaphor now. But having null 
or unclassified data is like removing one piece of domino that breaks it all. You will come this far and then it's waiting for something and nothing happens. So you will have to push it again to get going. Yeah, that was a terrible metaphor. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that. We are back. Yes, we are indeed back. And the puns keep on crawling out of the woodwork. You know what a REST API is, right? Mm -hmm. Would you expect a REST API that you can talk DAX to? No, and when I saw those notes, I was like, my initial thought is, thought is this is something I've been looking for my entire life without knowing it. And I have no clue what it does. But it sounds quite cool, to be honest. It is. And it is, in its simplicity, uh, it's, it's a REST endpoint mm -hmm. that you can send DAX code to. Yeah. What's the use case? What, what it does is that you can read your data set through a programmatic endpoint. Yeah. Suddenly you can access your your data and your, your, your data set through a language that you understand. Mm -hmm. Another thing, it's a small thing, but if you start to poke around with Synapse, Synapse has a lot of different identities because Synapse is an amalgamation of, of a lot of tools and they don't work the same way. We have the, um, the data factory part of uh, of Synapse. We have the serverless pools in Synapse. We have the other. We have the Spark pools, for instance. Some of these are going to work through AAD, Azure Active Directory identity. Mm -hmm. Some of them are going to work through a workspace system assigned managed identity, and some of them might actually work with alternate identities. This is an unholy mess, to be absolutely frank. And this is also something that the the product teams are working very hard on unifying and rectifying, I should say, but it is not uncommon to find yourself facing some pretty weird identity-related issues when you start to use a lot of the components together. So there was a blog post by the team back in August, mm -hmm. yeah, August the 4th, that speaks about the understanding the identity used during component execution in Synapse. I'll going to be uh, I'll link that in the description below because you're you're definitely going to want to read that if you're working with uh, Synapse. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I think you're going to find pretty interesting is that the Azure government is now rated for top secret information <laughs> for US information. Uh, yes, definitely. But the but still. the point is that a cloud provider is now rated for top secret information, mm -hmm. albeit in, in the US, but it is apparent that the cloud is no longer inherently insecure. It is inherently secure. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea where, um, so I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a few issues if the Swedish military came up with the brilliant idea to use Azure because yeah, it's a kind of an American company, but do you know of this, the state of play, so to speak, for using domestic cloud solutions in uh, top secret environments or the similar kind of, of secret environments in, in Sweden and in Europe? The, the only thing I know that would be 
similar would be the um, the cloud service that Saab announced, right? Which I can't remember the name of, but where where they said that they could host a cloud that government and military parts of the Swedish society could use and store pretty much any information you wanted. I have no clue which technology it were built on. I have no clue what they are using. But I assume that regardless of where you are in the world, it's a high probability that you use Microsoft technology for top secret information one way or another. May it be offline or whatnot. And I think that's what a lot of the discussion is around now, where we see uh, in France, as an example, where Orange and and another telco, I believe, are now self-hosting Azure. They have been allowed to do that. Um, And I think that's not an unlikely situation that we will see in other countries. When you say self-hosting... It is not a, a submarine implementation of, of no 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 it's it's Azure it's the it's as far as I've understood it it's the actual Azure disconnected from the big Azure so what the Germans used to have yeah interesting well there there is no reason why you could not buy Azure this is Azure Stack for grown-ups pretty much yeah basically um, and that's what a lot of the public organizations in Sweden nowadays are looking into, and that's one of the options that they are looking into, as, as far as I've understood from the articles that have that has been published. So and basically running Office 365 from a French Azure. For Yeah, the French people are running it from, from a French Azure, and we would run it in our own. No, we could run it in France. It's EU. Oh, as not long as top, it's in not, the Europe. All right, okay, okay. Uh, not for top secret information, though, yeah, but yeah. for everything else, GDPR and such. But everything, again, that one way or another affects the Swedish society and the sovereignty of Sweden uh, that needs to stay within Swedish borders and be managed by Swedish stuff. I've never been a huge fan of the idea of a domestic cloud. Because I hate the idea of reinventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. But I had never thought of actually reusing actual technology for Azure and putting Azure inside of of Sweden. Now, people are going to scream bloody murder because it's an American company that wrote a single line of code in there. But the idea kind of appeals to me. Yeah, and what what would be interesting to me is what would we and Microsoft lose on that. I do get that we couldn't get like cross-geography implementations. Mm-hmm. Or we could if we trust the other country, if it's not the US. But I wonder how it would impact things like support, services, upgrades, updates, all of that. And that's the, the interesting question in all of this, because like... Honestly, I do not care that much whoever runs my cloud as long as they do it good and I trust them and I personally trust Microsoft in the States as well. So, yeah, we need to talk to someone. <laughs> we, we definitely do. And this, as, as most things that we tend to, to 
have a frank discussion about it is only partly about technology. Mm-hmm. It is, in this case, not only about people, but it's also about uh, preconceptions and mm-hmm. uh, ideas and, and, and ideology, basically. Yeah, it's it's also legal, of course. I just said that, ideology. Yeah, sorry. I, 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 <laughs> you walked into that one. I did. I did. Wow. And speaking of walking into something, that was <laughs> perhaps the worst segue I've ever used. Catch the wave, man. <laughs> the um, Power BI was named the leader in the Forrester wave for augmented BI platforms. Um, Forrester is just like any other um, of these um, companies that look into the crystal ball and give out, the in this case, the, the Forrester wave to, to put. It's kind of like the Gartner uh, magic uh, quadrant, basically. So they, they have weaker and stronger strategy and weaker current offering and stronger current offering. And the further you go up right, where you have the leaders, well, the better it is. And there is Microsoft. Mm-hmm. What's interesting though, and do keep in mind, this is augmented BI platforms, whatever that means, because it's a, <laughs> the definition is kind of important. Who do you think is number two? I can only think of like Tableau because like... It, it to me that's what would compete with Power BI, and that's a very good point. Do remember the Tableau was bought by Salesforce. Ah, but Salesforce is in the leader part, so mm-hmm. to speak. But no, Oracle is seen as the runner-up, which I find kind of interesting. And then there's also a very small player called Sysense. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's it's Salesforce and Tipco Software. So those are the leaders. In the strong performers part, you're going to find stuff like Google, uh, SAP, SAS, and IBM, and ClickView. The most interesting thing in this uh, wave, though, is the contenders. And now we're in the middle where you neither have a weak or nor a strong strategy, and you neither have a weak or a strong current offering. There you find Amazon Web Services. Mm -hmm. So it would seem that Amazon and MicroStrategy, but it would seem that Amazon is not really at home in the uh, augmented BI platform scorecard. So yeah, uh, it's it's quite interesting to to read. I I did not expect this. I I did expect Power BI to come out high, but I Mm -hmm. did not expect Oracle, for instance, to be uh, there. No, and I think that Oracle, it, it's an interesting company. I I know that you have said that they are really, really good at some things still. But I think the world views Oracle as something not too good in general. But it's still there. So the, the software is fantastic in, in most respects. The company, well, I have, I have opinions on, on that company, but that's me. <laughs> Yep, but that's a very good point of view. I think that you're you're seeing a bad company and not seeing the brilliant code behind it. Yeah, but it, it's just like with everything else. I mean, I I can I can absolutely hate you, but I <laughs> cannot hate your skill because you're amazing. Now it turns out that you're a fairly good guy as well. But I would prefer the opposite. <laughs> that I like you and you suck. Yes. There you have it. <laughs> 
You heard it here first. Simon prefers to be liked than to be useful. Doesn't everyone? I think we have the name for this episode, liked or useful. You have cats. Isn't that the like perfect way of showing what I just said? Liked, but totally unuseful. They are absolutely fantastic at domesticating me. <laughs> they get me to do all kinds of shit. Now I know why your wife bought them. There we go. Anyway, moving on. So I, I can keep going for, for days and days and days, but um, I want to switch gears a tad. Windows 11. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about it? I have. I've calmed down a bit since our last recording. <coughs> it, it, it is a brilliant operating system. I absolutely love it, which isn't a surprise as such. Again, very good code. Great developers doing it. I do not like the strategy. I do not like that they basically told me and a lot of other people that have been fighting for Windows as a service that, nah, we don't care. We don't have visions anymore. So we have customers. On on that, do you think mm-hmm. that this Windows 11 came about as a result of the realization that mm, our visions are farther ahead than our customers? We need to take a step back or did someone lose their nerve and fall back to this is what we've always been doing? I honestly don't know. It, it's it's been something I've been thinking of during summer f- for real, and I I would hate to be right here, but it feels like marketing. Of course, it's marketing. Yeah, yeah, and and it's about taking the investments they made into uh, Windows 10x and all of that, and and putting that into a package that they one way or another could rebrand and sell because at the end of the day windows 11 is really just 10.1 yeah it, it it's you could say so it's windows 10 from the beginning we're basically windows 8.1 with right. another skin layer of paint yeah. yeah this is the same thing it's there are a lot of fantastic improvements as well but in, in practice it's not a new Windows. There hasn't been a new Windows for quite a while. A, a new, new Windows. No, and do you need one? No. Like, I... I uh, who did talk about that? There were someone, it could have been Windows Weekly, that, that spoke about... Uh, I think it were... There were some... I think it was one, one vendor that tried to develop a new... Um, mobile operating system from scratch and and they just realized or it could have even been google that wanted to rewrite android again like creating a completely new operating system to get rid of all the legacy and all the and and they just realized that it's not worth it like we it's it's too hard to build a completely new operating system which fits the requirements of global scale you simply can't build something that is as good as what's currently there in a reasonable amount of time and money no up up until a reasonable amount of time 
I would not have agreed with you. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's the then then again, I, I can't I can't not think that the future does not hold the Windows or the Linux or whatever we're used to as it is. I'm I'm still thinking that the next step is going to be a fundamental one. All these new operating systems have all been small steps forward. Uh, we, we need a new leap. We need to take a new um, viewpoint on how to do computing. And I think before we come up with that concept, we're not going to see a huge leap in in anything, really. And one thing I have been doing during the summer is studying 5G. And I think that shows a bit of what will happen. And I do think that the next step for the operating system is that there will be no operating system. That's also what Gartner said a number of years ago. Please re-listen our old podcasts. They are hilarious now in in hindsight. Uh, We won't have or we won't be aware of the operating system. We will have apps. Kind of not unlike what what you have in, in iOS. Exactly. So, But you are aware of iOS. It's important for you to have iOS. You have the integrations between these apps. Why do you have that? Uh, I would say that it's more similar to containerization. Yeah. That you need this app. Poof, you have this app. That That's Kubernetes. That That's all I know about Kubernetes. You need something, poof, you get it, and then it's gone. Um, it, it all depends <laughs> on where you want to have the substrate, yeah. really. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. how yeah. much do you want to give to the individual apps and how much do you want the backend operating system or whatever you want to call it working out for you? And yeah, yeah. so I I read another interesting op-ed the other day about 5G Mm -hmm. that basically argued that why why, why should we have 5G? Why do we need 5G? And before your mind explodes, hear me out, the, the thought was, Yes, it enables so many things when it comes to communicating almost in- instantaneously and, and cheaply, right? It's it's going to be a ubiquitous, always on, always there network. But do you need it? That was the point. And I'm, my first idea was to react just like you did. Of course we needed to do X. But then I started thinking about it and realized, well, no, we don't need it. Now, need is a very dangerous word, but need in this case would mean that we cannot do what we want to do without it. We can by having stronger units in our pockets. I mean, t- take a phone, for instance, or take a um, a gaming console. They are super powerful. They are powerful enough to run a lot of the algorithms for um, AI or machine learning stuff. So why would you need to toss that and do cloud computing on it if your your tablet or whatever you hold in your hand is powerful enough to do that? Why would you need such a super high-speed, high-bandwidth uh, network for it? Because you have fallen for the thing you understand. That is very likely. 5G enables low latency, very high bandwidth. I had 500 megabyte 
downstream and 100 megabyte upstream at my office last week on my phone over 5G. That's not the big thing with 5G. 5G enables things like vaccine. Real <laughs> yeah, it, it can spread COVID, I've heard, so it must be able to spread vaccine as well. Right. Yeah, and, and of course, of course it's so. Why do you think they put out 5G where you have a lot of people? To reach the maximum amount of vaccinated people, of course. Stupid. Anyway. Makes total sense. Oh, yeah. I can give you the math. Oh, yeah. 5G, a lot of people, must mean it spreads COVID a lot. Correlation and causality are two completely different words. Anyway. Uh, we, we can talk about this for ages, but the th- two things that you miss, you talk about super high-performant thingies. Mm-hmm. What about the small things? The things that should live with a battery life of 10, 15 years and only send data over, like extreme distances that's something 4g can't do in an efficient way today because you don't have those frequencies it's not cost efficient it's not energy efficient enough that's something 5g can enable iot is like an essential bit of that low performant either very very high frequency but small packages or low frequency, so once every month, a bit bigger packages, but where you have extreme requirements on uh, battery performance, as an example. All right, so bear with me here. 5G Uh is a higher frequency than 4G Uh to enable the, the higher bandwidth, right? Partly, yes. Okay. You have a lot of frequencies that are now getting split up between different workloads that are specialized in some things. So there are frequencies that are very, very low. Oh, hello. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at a, a chart and there are a few uh, bands, N28 and N29, there are 700 megahertz. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot more sense. So a better yeah. way of looking at 5G is not to think of a higher speed internet, but more a broader and more complete way of communicating. This is the leap you're asking for. Like, this is going from whatever we had before 3G to 3G. Edge, that was before your time. Exactly. No, my first phone had that. (laughs) My first phone also had a color screen. Yeah, yeah, oh God. (laughs) No, I'm not gonna go into that. So that's, that's one part. So it's it's a completely different platform. It's a like it it's not even done yet because we don't have the technology to fully leverage what 5G would introduce. The other aspect is due to the way 5G communicates. A telco can sell off parts of their frequencies to an organization and you get your private real 5G network, your own part of the of the entire frequency spectrum that you control. You can do your own QoS. You can do everything you like. You can own the SIM cards. But that has that that has to be uh, confined to a specific geographical area, correct? Mm, not necessarily. You can get that across a country or across the world, depending on what your telco have in terms of agreements. 
your telco can only sell part of their spectrum, of course. But, yeah. And then you have the way it communicates, where, as an example, and this is possible today, where you can say, I want all devices on this part of 5G, my, my 5G network, which can be part of the bigger one. So let's say you have a factory. You extend your 5G network to that factory. If you want to communicate with something within the factory from your phone, you now have to run out to a must, get all the authentication done, which takes a few milliseconds, and then go back. And with mast, you mean a cell phone tower? Yeah. You will be able to route that, enabling edge computing at each individual um, phone antenna. Or Damn. So the future, as some see it, and, and there is a reason why Telia wants to be an IT services provider now, they have the infrastructure. They have towers with rooms where you, which you can fill with servers, which can run containers. And then you have real edge computing. So here we see what happens when you take old established mm -hmm. preconceptions and apply mm -hmm. them to something that you don't really understand. Nope. Um, and I mean, if I can do this and I see myself as a fairly accomplished technologist <laughs> if i can walk into this trap then everybody can mm -hmm. and that is something that i take away from this conversation i had no idea that this was something that that 5g could do and i haven't looked into it because 5g is just another 4g i will send you links that explains this in a very simplistic way it's like 15 pages you need to understand a bit about computing to understand it i think that's covered yeah, but you don't have to understand telecommunication at all because this is compute. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, you're 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 welcome. I also saw something because I I actually don't feel like talking about my news. It's it's config manager and Intune. I love it, but I I just don't feel that I can make it righteous today. I saw a link. Yeah, I'd love to. So hmm? I I saw a. a tweet the other day and the tweet was from Gergely Orosh um, whom I don't know but I, I, I came across this and, and uh, he's, um, he's got almost 30,000 followers and mm -hmm. he, he's written a few books he's used to work for Uber, Skype, Microsoft so he said that titles don't matter in tech I used to think the same those around me agreeing were similar to me guys who were established yeah, it didn't matter to us anymore. Then I talked with others. It turns out the titles do matter a lot, especially when you're not in this group. And I can just speak for myself. I introduced myself as a um, head moron more than once, or, or just mm -hmm. IT Muppets. I don't care. And I can do that because I am established, and I hadn't even thought about it. This segued into something that I heard not so long ago about privilege. Everybody goes, well, privilege, well, I have, I have worked for everything that I have. Yes, you have. And yes, I have. I worked my ass off to get where I am. But I also carry privilege of being a white male in mm -hmm. a pretty 
prestigious part of, of the world. And the thing to look at privilege was that instead of looking at it as something that I have and you don't, for instance, is uh-uh, turn it on its head. Privilege is not so much the benefits that you have, but a penalty that the other gets and you don't. Mm -hmm. And these things together, they really did a number on my brain. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I need to think very carefully of about how I introduce myself and how I view the concept of titles. It's not stupid anymore. It is very, very important. So what's your thought on that? I agree. And I, I think it also matters. It's how you identify yourself. I do remember when I, when I joined my former employer and my manager said that you're no longer allowed to be a principal solutions architect. You're now a principal technical architect. And in the next sentence, as many of my other managers have said, yeah, but the title doesn't matter. So to me, it matters because it, it changed my identity. If someone sees that title, they assume a thing. So to me, titles has always mattered, uh, not in the way possibly that you're describing, that it, it doesn't matter because I know what I can. Mm -hmm. But it, it's part of my identity and it's something I'm proudly presenting me with. So I like to be able to set my own title, which I sort of kind of can now. I have an internal title, which is there for salary, basically. Mm -hmm. But how I introduce myself is something I, to a very far extent, can choose yeah. myself. So I also do agree, going back to when I started in IT, and it's not that long ago. It's 10, 11, 12 years ago, whatever it is. Uh, and when I worked for a German company where I had another email title when I communicated with Germany than with anyone else because I needed to have a title that made my German counterpart actually reply to my emails. And that is a very good point. He keeps, Gergely keeps talking about uh, women who said, well, mm -hmm. it wasn't until I got awarded senior or principal or whatever until people stopped questioning, mm. do you even know how to IT? Yeah. And again, th this is something that women and, and, and basically anyone who's not a white middle-aged male gets yeah. hit with every day. I haven't thought of it that way. If that is not privilege, I don't know what is. I, I fully agree. I think you're absolutely on point. And that is also why we, and, and now correct me if you think I'm speaking out of term, that's one of the reasons why we need to be honoring our titles, that if we have a title, we should be standing by that. But that's also why we should not try to invent more levels and more interesting ways of showing where we are or what we are, or what we can do. Because when principle is no longer enough for you and me, and our managers feel that, yeah, but it doesn't matter, give them a royal principle, it lowers everyone else who haven't had the privilege 
of getting those titles because of who they are. It 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 um, it definitely fractures the whole mm-hmm. playing field, and it it definitely changes the the individual uh, titles. I keep remembering Samuel Iho. <laughs> Why is he a senior technical fellow? Yeah, because he's the only one at his company, and he can choose his own title. That's part of it, but Mark Rusinovich exactly, yeah, <laughs> is a technical fellow at Microsoft, and Sami didn't want to be outdone by. No. <laughs> so yeah, um, that that's. But I, I and, and I think that really drives home your point that it is, in many ways, it it might feel like a fun thing to do. I want to mm-hmm. be a royal technical fellow, which kind of. <laughs> sound neat but it also comes with a consequence which mm-hmm. again probably is never in a million years going to hit you in the face or me in the face but everything we do especially as you gain in in experience and seniority everything we do echoes downstream mm-hmm. so everything has consequences yeah this turned into a fairly deep conversation yeah, and I would love to continue it, but we have some upcoming really special episodes where we can dive deeper into this. Stay tuned. We can and but we will. Sp- speaking about titles, are you getting a new one? No, <laughs> I'm actually not. So, um, very, very, very suddenly, well, it's not that suddenly, I am switching jobs. Today, August 31st, was my last day at my present employer, Solution Experts. And I will be joining Atollo out of Stockholm in, well, tomorrow. And this, this episode is going to air on the 2nd, so I've already worked for one day. In fact, I'm going to be in, in Stockholm on, on the 2nd when this, this airs. Um, I am really excited, like really excited. I haven't been this excited for a long time. Uh, it's a, a specialist, super specialist company. They, they only do BI and I will be stepping in and, and doing a BI architecture, a cloud architecture, training, mentoring, all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, um, to going there. Congratulations. I think it sounds brilliant. And Thank you. Uh, it will be a lot of fun. I'm absolutely convinced. Absolutely. And the, the funny thing is the, the, the pond that we're all swimming in the pond that is called IT in in Sweden, it's roughly the size of a postage stamp. So I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. that I will be bumping into just about anyone and everyone that I've ever worked with at one Mm -hmm. point in time or other. But I will be still um, living in the city of Linköping, which is roughly 240 kilometers south of Stockholm. But I will be spending one day uh, a week over time, so to speak, in in Stockholm. So I'll be... um, you're going to love this. I'm going to be going on trains. And I have a very, very vivid opinion and experience with trains. I know, but I can also help you with that. I will give, I will teach you everything I know about trains. You don't need to teach me. Teach <laughs> the train. how to drive the darn thing and to get it from point A to point B. It's not that hard. We will now leave this because otherwise my blood pressure will spike and this episode yeah. will end very, very quickly. And at your age, you need to be careful with that. Thank you, young man. <laughs> so uh, we are, again, as always, running out of time. I just want to point out that this 
upcoming Saturday, September the 4th, we have the first day to Saturday, Oslo, which is the successor to the sequel Saturday, Oslo. It's the same people. It's the same awesome conference. This year, it is fully virtual. So it's still possible to um, to get tickets. It's, it's entirely free. I will be uh, delivering the Untruthful Art, and it is going to be an updated version of the Untruthful Art, which is, surprisingly enough, even angrier than the previous episode. <laughs> I've been handed so much awesome stuff yeah. predominantly from from twitter people are just tagging me on the most insane and outrageous visuals and go yeah this might fit in your presentation and, and yes hell yes it does and i've introduced a lot of it and some some things i mean i i'm pretty pissed when i do the session because there's so much in there that is so important and i just want to strangle some people well, I have more people to strangle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my next session will actually be at a physical event. How exciting. Where are you going? Abroad. Oh, you're going to Denmark? No. To the, uh, you're right. My next event won't. Yeah, it, it, it will. But I thought about another. I will be speaking at the Windows Management User Group in Copenhagen on the 16th of September. Is that going to be and in person or virtual? In person. Nice. And on the 16th of October, I will be going to Southampton to speak at South Coast Summit. Oh, that's outside of the EU, right? <laughs> it is. It is. So I'm leaving the EU. And you have looked at the uh, Corona stuff for going to the UK and, and coming back from the UK. We'll take that when we get there. Not to the country, but when we're getting closer to that. Simon is a very positive man. <laughs> All right. So best of luck. And, and it would be wonderful if, if everything works out because going yep. somewhere is awesome. I'll be going to Belgium later mm -hmm. um, in October for mm -hmm. um, uh, for Data Mines. And I'm mm -hmm. also confirmed for uh, the Nordic Developer Conference in December. Nice. In cool. Oslo. Nice. That's cool. I love Oslo. Would Oslo love to is go fantastic. Back. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, and just I'm recording my Jamf Nation user conference session tomorrow, which will be aired in October twenty first, if I'm not mistaken. And I have announcements for next episode. I hope, which is actually a bucket list thing for me. Really? So that's going to be mm -hmm. in two weeks. Yeah. And you're going to be in charge of that episode? Apparently, yes. <laughs> and I think on that bombshell and, and cliffhanger, it is time to end the the episode. It is so good to be back. Again, I I, I hardly remember how to do this, and I still haven't done the, the post-production of the whole shebang, but I'll, I'll think I'll sort that. And as always, it is fantastic to talk to you, Simon. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you back in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Abitzon and Simon Binder. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com.